Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash mood. Hello and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Leo Briggs, who's currently pursuing an MFA in dance and social justice at the University of Texas, Austin, and H.G. Grubmeyer, who works as a volunteer coordinator at a hunger relief nonprofit. Together, Leo and H.G. have collaborated on a full-length performance titled CBS, which premieres this past June at the Seven Stages Theater in Atlanta. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Danny. That was a beautiful introduction. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, I'm thrilled. I'm also very excited to talk a little bit more about CVS later because I don't know if you all knew this, but there's actually a little chain of uh, like a small mom and pop uh, pharmacies with a similar name that I, I think is kind of just a fun moment of serendipity. Mm. Mm. I've never heard of those. <laughs> we have fun here. Uh, I'm also <laughs> excited. That, I, I don't know. I love thinking about what goes into bios. And I love the like, people should know this is a full length performance. The length of the performance (laughs) is full. It is not half. Like, what would you call, by the way, a half length performance? Is this a formal theater term? And I'm just like exposing my ignorance. No, there's there's actually no formalized rules that govern what's full length and what's not. I think you could actually argue CVS was was not in fact full length coming in at about 25 to 30 minutes. Wow, you but, really walked it back, by the way. <laughs> well, it is full length, though, in terms of the impact. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start doing that, like, when my next book comes out. I'm just going to be like, oh, this is a full length novel. <laughs> yeah, because it is. <laughs> it goes all the way to the end. Yeah. Um, that sounds thrilling. And uh, I'm also excited to potentially hear a little bit more about how much the dance and social justice components of your MFA inform one another? Or if it's like, no, 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 morning we spend dancing, (laughs) afternoon is for social justice, but never do they intersect. And either way, I'm happy, so. Uh, They are unfortunately deeply tied together. (laughs) (laughs) Never apologize. Never explain. (laughs) I I say, you just, you got to really just lean into it. Like if you've got something that you feel a little self-conscious about, I think the best way to deal with it is just give it like pride of place and and just go full like ghost of Christmas present. Like come in and know me better. Great advice. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is why I should say all this, like, this is just my approach to everything, which is like, when in doubt, intensify it, uh, which is why I'm always in trouble on my taxes. And three <laughs> days ago, I shaved my head because there was a heat wave that was going to last like four or five days. And I was like, I can't have hair. Mm. So yeah. I'm bald and constantly in trouble with the IRS. Just like so <laughs> many of my uh, idols from the 20s and 30s. I feel like I know from previous episodes of the show that you're not an astrology person, which is okay. Yeah, but... I, I'm not anti-astrology as long as I feel like everyone's kind of got the right whimsical attitude towards it, but it's not one of my things, so I don't know a lot about it. I guess it's just that what I'm saying now is that sometime later in our relationship that's beginning today, I will mm-hmm. be trying to acquire your birth time. <laughs> and you can yeah. say no. That's we, consensual. We are, I would say, by the way, all three of us are now in a relationship. Uh, it's begun. Mm. And who knows what the future will hold? But absolutely, okay. this is a relationship. We're talking. We're in the same, you know, mental and spiritual space. If that's not a relationship, I don't know what is. I mean, and I'm yeah. also bald and in trouble with the IRS. Like we have <laughs> a lot in common. <laughs> it's just—it's—it's it's not even that I want to be right. It's just like I'm like, if you don't take the money out, I'm not going to remember. And they're like, <laughs> that's not really our problem, and you still owe it. And I'm like, that's such a good point, but I did spend it. So you will have to wait until I sell my next book. Um, And it's really, it's really on me. Uh, This shouldn't be a surprise. And yet every year it is. All of this is to say, I'm really excited uh, about doing our best to help other people. And as as you can see, I've begun by a a mutual sharing of some vulnerabilities. So nobody thinks I think I'm better than them. Um, And also it's very, very hot. So everyone should excuse anything I say that is deranged because when the temperature is higher than 90, I cannot be held responsible for anything I say and do. And that's legal as well as social. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Good, good. Well, I'm glad that we're all on the same page. Uh, and I wonder if I could prevail upon one of you to read us our first letter before I reveal more embarrassing secrets about things that I can't handle in my personal life. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, re- I'm supposed to read this one, right? The too many, Please two weak boyfriends. Okay, mm-hmm. great. The subject line is too many, two weak boyfriends. My best friend of 15 years, May, is going through an emotionally fraught divorce with her husband after less than a year. The divorce itself is pretty straightforward, but she's less upset about the end of their marriage than she is about the prospect of being alone for the first time since she was 14. She's never been single for more than a week and alters her personality to fit whoever she's seeing. In the past month, she has started three relationships and ended two. One was with a man who pressured her into a non-consensual kinkin relationship, the second with a man 20 years our senior who had groomed her as a teenager, and a third a homophobe who collects assault weapons. May has always been anti-gun, and most of our friends, including me, are queer, but she started revising history to fit this third relationship. She has told me explicitly that my life is too boring to ask about and only talks about her relationships. We are almost 30, and I have been happily married for three years, own a home I am lovingly restoring, and have planning on having children. I don't fault her for going through this phase or feeling bitter towards me, but I don't know how many week-long, serious relationships I can handle, especially when she does not seem interested in speaking about anything else. Yeah, so I really, as as is often the case, I was sort of feeling one thing in the first paragraph, and then when we got into the sort of like, and, and now she seems to be on board with acquiring a lot of assault weapons and tells me my life is boring, I'm like, oh, well, maybe this isn't a sort of like, hey, live and let live situation. Like, if your friend picks kind of like crummy relationships and doesn't want to be single, there's a limit to how much you can intervene. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, really the, the the gun stuff and I don't think you're interesting enough to ask questions of. Uh, yeah, that, that puts things in a different light for me. I completely agree. I started the letter feeling like this was kind of a mind your business scenario. Um, I mean, I have been directly accused of altering my personality to fit whoever I'm seeing. And it's not a crime. Um, And I think it's fairly natural to uh, become more similar to the people who you're spending a lot of time around. Um, By the way, I just want you to know that as soon as you said it's not a crime, my mind immediately flashed to those skateboarding is not a crime, like bumper stickers. And just pictured <laughs> pretending to like skateboarding to impress your boyfriend is not a crime. And I <laughs> I really want someone to make that. Mm, I can't relate. I would never pretend to like skateboarding for someone. <laughs> that is not something that I could act uh, well enough. No one would believe me. My thing is more like if I genuinely have really strong feelings for someone, it's not pretending. I it genuinely like, well, now skateboarding or whatever your interest is, is infused with like a beautiful and magical light because you like it. And so... I don't change my personality. My personality is changed by virtue of liking someone enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That was my take as well. Is like, it feels very, I mean, I don't know. I guess we're getting kind of philosophical quickly, but it's just like, <laughs> are you expecting your friends to not change or are you just disliking the changes that you're seeing? But like, why is the change itself the issue rather than just like the things that are happening? You know, like... I feel like sometimes we want to say that somebody is changing in a way just to say like the prospect of her, like somebody maintaining the sameness is like what's most important rather than like this person like now loves guns and is a homophobe question mark. I don't know. We didn't really get any like details about like what has happened as a result of the boyfriend's bad views, but it doesn't seem to be good. Yeah. So I I feel like as is often the case with something like this, where someone has sort of accumulated a series of uh, maybe grudges, maybe resentments, maybe irritations. I don't, I don't mean to suggest that it seems like the letter writer has been like seething for years and years or to like imply like, oh, you've been way too conflict avoidant. I just mean like it, it's many such cases when somebody writes in and they're like, I have a friend that I've been close with for a long time. We haven't had a lot of arguments yet. And I'm kind of realizing that this pattern that I used to be able to overlook is becoming really not good. Uh, and I, I don't really know what to do. And I think this sort of falls into that category. So as I usually do with with letters like this one, I, I think about triage. So, you know, the letter writer says the divorce is pretty straightforward. She's not that upset about the end of their marriage. 
So uh, great. Like you can just kind of agree. Neither of us care a lot about her divorce. Great. Put that in the category of like, we don't really need to get into that one. And the same thing about like, it's clear to me that the letter writer does feel a certain charge around their best friend not having been single and clearly feels like if only May were willing to be single for more than a week, she might find that it's not as scary as she thinks. She might develop a more concrete, stable sense of identity outside of her relationships. I think it would make her life better. Again, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I would definitely put that in the category of she hasn't asked you for help on that front. Even if that's not the way you would want her to live her life, I don't think that's for you to like put your oar in unless she asks you pretty specifically. But the stuff about I've seen her be in relationships where someone's abused her and she's also taken a turn like in defense of stockpiling guns and being kind of homophobic, that feels like a different category of like, yes, I think this is a good opportunity to lovingly express concern and ask a question or two of your friend and to sort of go into it thinking this will not be the easiest conversation. It's not going to be the most fun. But my goal is not like convince her to dump him immediately. My goal is to be like honest and to say like, this concerns me. How are you doing? Does that strike you as a reasonable thing to do? I, I think especially if we can kind of peel away the other stuff, it's it's helpful to go into those conversations with like one or two clear priorities rather than here's everything I've ever objected uh, about the way you run your personal life. And like, as, as long as we're having a tough conversation, I might as well go for broke. Yeah, I get the sense that before the letter writer has that difficult conversation with her friend, or or their friend, um, they need to um, maybe dig into some of this, I'm going to say, superiority complex that I'm getting from certain parts of this letter. Like, we are almost 30. I've been happily married for three years. I own a home. I'm lovingly restoring. I'm planning on having children. All of these things are great, but they don't make you better than your friend May, who is dating and having week-long flings and, you know, going through a messy divorce. I think that there's probably been animosity on both sides with the friend saying, you know, your life is too boring to ask about, etc. For whatever it's worth, I didn't necessarily read that as, therefore, I'm qualified to tell her what to do so much as like, I don't think any of these things are boring. But I do think you're right that there's a sort of implied and, and certainly understandable sense of like, well, actually, like, I think I'm doing pretty great. So I, I agreed it shouldn't be like, I, I wouldn't say those things in this conversation as if they are like uh, credentials for giving her advice. But certainly if someone told me my life was really boring, I would understandably think about things that I did like about my life. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. Yeah. Something that I was thinking about that I agree with you on, Danny, is that like bringing specificity to this conversation that you're seeking to have with May, um, letter writer, or like the, that they should bring the specificity to like things about that have happened while like the letter writer has been there about the boyfriend that have upset them or worried them. Like we don't really get a ton of that in the letter, but you can kind of assume that if like May is like hanging out with this boyfriend who's homophobic and then like the majority of her friends are queer, something is happening or at least just like it's a really uncomfortable feeling. So like I would implore the letter writer to like, think about what they really like about being friends with May and what they like about the relationship. And then, you know, kind of apart from that, think about like, okay, well, what are the things that have happened that have bothered me? It doesn't have to be like, you know, a list of like events or like a timeline or anything like that. But I just mean more in the sense of like, I don't know how much, how through you're going to get to May by being like, you have a lot of like really short, strange relationships and you're going through a divorce. I do feel like, the timeline of this letter is interesting to me because this friend is getting a divorce, mm-hmm. um, and which is a really difficult thing to do. I've never done it, but I imagine it would be difficult. And then in the past month has started three relationships and ended two. And I just feel like, so those, at least two of those relationships are under a month long. You know, they're still not great, but it's still like, it's not something that she's like continuing to choose after a long time, you know? So I wonder, just like thinking about the scale here and thinking about like having some compassion for your friend who might be, yeah, making some erratic choices in a difficult time. Yeah, to me, I think it's 
it's useful to sort of step back. And like, again, I can really understand if you've known someone a long time and you really care about them and you want the best for them. Uh, it is understandable that you would sort of like, uh, you know, have a quick reflexive judgment about the way that they conduct relationships. But I, I think basically my thought here is, uh, would it make a difference if she had spent a lot of time single and only been in a handful of serious relationships if she were now dating somebody new and suddenly saying things like, I think it's great to have 20 guns uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. and gay people kind of annoying. No. So to me, that's like, you can drop that. The thing that's important right. here is that she's saying these things. And so adding, and I think you have too many boyfriends or I think you're afraid of being alone. It's not going to, I think, persuade her to listen to you. And it's just not the issue. So I would just put that in the category of like things you don't need to to share with her. So again, if it's me, I would try to go into this with a sort of sense of like how many loving criticisms can one person absorb in a single conversation? And I think I sort of think of it along the lines of like a, a bio, like when when someone asks for a bio for either like a reading or a performance or, or a, a piece that I'm writing for a, a magazine, I don't like to put more than two things in there. I think most people don't read bios and like remember and retain nine things about the writer. I think they can remember two, three at the absolute most. This, by the way, is just a theory. I have no idea where I'm getting these numbers from. But similarly, I think when it's a conversation with a friend, especially if you haven't had like loving and respectful disagreements in the past and it's kind of your first time, going in with like, here's five things I need you to change can sometimes just be really overwhelming. And, and so this isn't like, oh, you should never do that. This is just a strategy point that I think might be helpful. I promise you I'm not like trying to claim never argue with a friend about more than four things, you'll fail. But just, <laughs> I, I think, keep it as brief as you can for the sake of trying to get through to her. So I think I would say, you know, I, I think I would just encourage you to say like, hey, recently you told me that you felt like my life was too boring to ask me questions. And I just want to let you know, I don't like that. That hurt my feelings. Why did you say that? Did you mean it? I wish you didn't. Um, and, and just like hear her out. And if her response is, oh, I was just kidding, you know, that's fine. And you can kind of say like, okay, it felt pointed. Or like, I don't like that joke. Would you mind not making a joke like that before? Or, or again, rather not before. Um, and, and even like, I also have noticed you don't usually ask me questions about my life. And I don't want to assign you friendship homework. But I, I think making a joke about something that you already don't do, really, that's why it felt pointed to me. Um, mm -hmm. And and. I, I would like you to be curious about my life or to at least feign some curiosity about my life. And so I, I do want our conversations to, to be more uh, reciprocal from now on. Do you think you can do that? And you have every right to say that on your own behalf. It's a reasonable thing to say to her. It's not the same thing as like, and you've always been selfish. Like, I think with stuff like this, it's so important to like stick to the facts and not get too... Um, caught up in like, and it feels like you always do this, or I think you're this or that type of person. Like you're just focusing on something you would like her to change rather than something you think that she is. Mm -hmm. And then once you have said that, I think you can also express concern about, again, like the gun thing and the homophobia thing. And, and again, I think just be specific, like mention what she has said or done, and then just follow that up with like, how are you doing? Like, does this feel good? Like, are you are you feeling all right? Like, where's this coming from? And then just genuinely listen. And I don't mean because maybe she'll say something that sounds really like persuasive. I mean, because she might say something that makes you think, wow, May is really like changing politically in a way that I deeply object to. Or mm -hmm. May really seems like so deeply caught up in this relationship that I don't think she can listen to a lot of reason. And that might modify how you talk to her in the future, if that makes sense. Does that strike you as reasonable? Would you want to split the question of like how May treats the letter writer from May's sort of like changing political commitments? Uh, where, where where do you want to prioritize those? Because I also don't want to get too like, oh, this is just about their friendship and not like, wow, this is really objectionable. I do get the sense that the, well, I, I think that the the partner who's homophobic, who's collecting weapons definitely needs to be addressed, but it does seem to me like the underlying resentment that the letter writer is feeling is mostly about their friendship, you know, not going super well and not feeling like the letter writer's being reciprocated and, and being able to talk about their life. And I, I think it's reasonable to point out that the end of this might mean that your friendship isn't, you know, like not to say 
it's going to disintegrate. But I mean, you've been friends with this person for 15 years and your lives are very different and it seems like they're going in very different directions. I, I think I think there's a chance that, yeah, you you might have to accept that she's making a choice towards a relationship that you don't like and and that's harmful. But unfortunately, there's all you can do is have the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I think the answer to this problem is you got to have a fight with your friend. And that doesn't mean you have to yell uh, or call her names. But I think it means you have to bring it up. You have to kind of anticipate that it's going to be tricky. And your goal should just be to speak like in a respectful and considerate way rather than exit with great feelings all around. And I really think the letter writer should reframe that last sentence. I don't fault her for going through this phase. I think you should a little bit. Again, that's not the same thing as I think she's bad now, but like you you should treat her as at least potentially responsible for the things that she has said. And I think I would maybe get rid of the feeling bitter towards me because I, I think that's sort of protective and, again, really understandable. If someone tells me my life is boring, that would hurt my feelings and I would want to feel better about myself by saying, oh, they're probably just jealous. But mm-hmm. that may not be true. And I, Sorry, that sounds mean. I just mean she might actually think you're boring. I hope she doesn't. <laughs> I hope there was something else going on or or I hope she can reinvestigate that. But I don't want you to feel like you have to correct for that by saying it's actually because she hates her own life and wishes that she has mine because – then, especially when you couple that with the two of you not talking honestly about difficult feelings, you both kind of construct stories about each other that you never confirm with each other. And man, when you're having a fight with an old friend and you've both got that going on, that really has the potential to to go pear-shaped. But so, yeah, I think your problem is not exactly that she's in a lot of short, serious relationships. The problem is that she has said some pretty fucked up stuff to you and you want to address it. Yeah, and I don't know, maybe I'm reacting this way because... When I was 15, my best friend wrote me a letter ending our friendship and said mm. at the end that I was boring. Um, we Ouch. later on fell in love and then fell out of love. Mm-hmm. And now, like, our friends from across the country, but also there's a lot there. But my point is just that somebody saying that you're boring is, like, a hurtful thing that's not necessarily, like, about you, I guess. But also at the same time, it's like, I don't know, like, I just wonder if the letter writer wants to continue this relationship. And I don't know, like, Mm -hmm. there's just um, this last line, I guess, to me, just kind of the way that it's worded is like, I don't know how much more I can handle. Right. And it's just like, I wonder, to me, I felt like there was a sense there of like, maybe feeling like May wasn't going to necessarily be responsive to these conversations, or maybe they haven't had it, or they haven't had things like this before. So I think you're right, Danny, like, probably just seems like a fight is coming. But I also think that like people grow apart, lives split off into many directions, kind of as Leo was saying. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, that's a fine result too. That's a sad result. And that, you know, is a hard thing to go through, especially if you've been friends with somebody for a lot of transitory phases. But at the same time, you don't have to be friends with just somebody just because you've been friends with them for a long time is maybe what I'm trying to say. I think that's really reasonable. And yeah, this this conversation may end up being kind of like an exit interview of sorts. But yeah, that's also a useful thing to kind of ask yourself. Like if this conversation goes really, really badly, will you kind of feel like, all right, time to put a pin in this one and like wish her the best, but from a distance, that would be reasonable. I do think it's nice to try, especially when you don't have a history of like difficult conversations, because I think they're worth it. But if you have the conversation and she just won't listen, reiterates that you're boring and says she just, she prefers guns now and thinks that gay people aren't as great as she used to think they were. You haven't lost a lot. You've just sort of confirmed what you're worried about. But there's a potential that you will learn more from her either in terms of like, man, yeah, I've really been acting out lately and I'm really sorry I said those things. I don't mean them, but I'm like getting kind of lost in the sauce with my boyfriend or even like I'm having a really tough time with this boyfriend. I'm really sorry that I've been like taking it out on you. Again, not that that would make it all feel amazing and great. I mean, you have to be best friends for the next 15 years. Just it is nice whenever there's a potential to try to understand each other, to try to take it. Yeah, absolutely. All of your um, all of your homophobia examples are so gentle. <laughs> You're like, gay people are annoying. I don't like gay people as much as I thought I did. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to get specific. Like, if there's not specifics in there, I don't want to come up with any. Just because that's not that fun. Um, but yeah, I, I do sort of love the idea of just being sort of like non-specifically homophobic, like eh, gay people, whatever. I'm over it. <laughs> I mean, we all have been there, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I just, I really think if, if she was dating like nicer people, the letter writer wouldn't really care about having a lot of short relationships. The problem is that like mm-hmm. these guys kind of suck. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Like if, if I had a friend who was like constantly like a bingo little type of friend in the old Jeeves <laughs> and Worcester stories, who's like always falling in love with like wacky new ladies but they're always kind of fun and interesting and lead to like madcap adventures. That's fine. That's kind of fun. It's really only when they're they're all like monsters that it it becomes unpleasant. But otherwise, I often like having like friends who often and quickly and boisterously fall in love, especially when they combine it with a sort of like Bugs Bunny-like resilience when it doesn't work out. Like, oh, what are you going to do? <laughs> Do you know, do you know what I mean? That one. kind of like, you remember like in the bandwagon, like, I guess I'll have to change my plans. That's sort of like, well, you shoot your cuffs. Ah, I should have realized there'd be somebody else. What can you do? Back to the drawing board. <laughs> I love that. I feel like the sad part is, is that people who are in the habit of having a lot of relationships, they probably have a mixture of ones that just like feel like fun adventures and also are like genuinely bad. I mean, Maybe I'm just speaking from experience, but. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, it is difficult because, like, being a romantic, a good sport is something that can only be revealed when you're not interested in someone anymore. And so it's Mm. only something that can make someone look better in hindsight rather than something that draws you to them. But it works in the movies, at least. Yeah, that's true. totally different note, I would love to hear about your full-length theatrical production of CVS or anything else that you've got going on that you think would be fun and interesting. Oh, wow. Well, I want to talk about CVS, but HG, I also want you to talk about your new project Uh, happening without me um, as I have moved out of the state. But CVS was, um, CVS kind of grew out of our our friendship and our desire to to make something together. HG is a is a poet, a writer by trade, and um, I am a dancer choreographer. So I love it, it when was... people say by trade. By the way, thank you for saying by trade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very Leo coded. That's Kentucky coded. It's deep Kentucky. Um, yeah, so it, it was uh, it was an exercise in. Um, in vulnerability and discomfort for both of us. I think HG being on stage and performing, um, it was a little nerve wracking for him. And then, you know, the, the speaking and writing components were, um, were definitely fraught for me. But, you know, we're just, uh, HG, say something. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful partnership. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, so the work, like, I mean, I guess this is going to be my answer, but like the work structurally is, um, I was interested in thinking about CVS, the pharmacy, um, mostly because I started thinking about it when I would wait for so long and constantly call and be on the phone with and like be in the CVS universe to receive um, all of the medications that I need, but in particular, my hormones. And just, um, I started thinking about like the time and space that was created by CVS in my life, if that makes sense. It um, does make sense. I also <laughs> have spent a lot of time there. Yeah. And so I wanted to think about that space and think about like maybe what life I could be living, um, all of those moments that are being kind of held captive by CVS. So I think the work is about medical transition and it's about our friendship. And it's about the South and being in love with various kinds of people. But I also think it's just kind of, it felt like a work that was born out of necessity as a, not necessarily like coping mechanism, but as a thing to do when the news is bad and when life around you is not great. And CVS really just felt like it was it was such an incredible experience to have people kind of just sitting with us in that space and making something beautiful out of something that is logistically really annoying and frustrating in my life. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, I'm there anyways. I might as well do something with this. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and Leo is absolutely right. I was super stressed to be on stage. I am a writer in the sense that I am usually alone and behind my computer, but Ever since meeting Leo a few years ago, I've been obsessed and growing more and more obsessed with dance as a form of art expression and queer movement. So it was just really, really like just exuberantly amazing to be with him on stage. And yeah. 
That's really, really beautiful. I recently showed a friend singing in the rain, so I feel like I get it. <laughs> uh, it's like when I showed you center stage for the first time, HG. I'm the best goddamn ballet dancer at the American <laughs> Ballet Academy. Who the hell are you? I'm going to die now. Let me, <laughs> let me go. I think about that movie every single day. I think about them... I think about the bed scene and him riding up on a motorcycle. <laughs> of course you do. Also, I feel like now that we say this, uh, Center Stage is in conversation with Singing in the Rain because I'm the best goddamn dancer in the American Ballet Academy. Who the hell are you? Nobody is <laughs> essentially just like an updated version of who the hell are you, you piano player? Are you anybody? Like Maureen is Lena Lamont of the 90s. Wow, Whoa. I think you're writing my master's thesis for me. I'm just going <laughs> to take Please make a, a dance about quick this. Notes. <laughs> I cannot dance at all. I, one time at summer camp this year, tried to do a Jane Fonda workout video with another buddy of mine, and uh, I can't even do that. So uh, the, the coordination, I mean, was insane. I, I cannot move my body in a way that makes sense. Danny, I'm seeing you dancing with your hands as you read the letter. I'm, it's happening. I can gesture. I'm at this point <laughs> incidentally Italian-American because I've lived in, in an Italian-American neighborhood for the last couple of years. But that's it. It's, it's just emphasis. It's not, there's, no, there's no planned movement behind it. There's no gracefulness. Mm. Um, mm. I happily cede that to others. But uh, that sounds fantastic. And I hope someday you do... Uh, another follow-up to CVS about like those boutique pharmacies that just text you and send couriers because uh, I think that would be a lot of fun to try to express through dance. Oh my gosh. And those people are just like, like the experience on those services is just like a polar opposite. Like it would just be like joyous dance. Like whenever the person who delivered, I'm not going to say the app name, like no free ads, but like mm-hmm. the person who delivers my medication. Because one of you did say Uber Eats earlier and I honestly almost was like, or whatever delivery service you want. <laughs> honestly, that's kind of the worst one to say too. Um, <laughs> but like, they're just like the sweetest and most friendly people like who deliver you to, and like, the last person who came to my house was like asking me all these questions about my dog and she also had a pit bull. And then we were like bonding over like all the other people not liking our dogs. And it was just like really a beautiful experience. So that's on the list to make a dance about for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So I hate to make assumptions, but I am guessing that anyone who is pursuing an MFA in dance and social justice might have some relevant thoughts about our third letter. And I did say relevant as if it rhymed with elephant. And at first I thought maybe no one will notice. And then I thought, I bet everyone heard that. And so I'm going to say it again. Relevant, not relevant. <laughs> but it's about um, a Danny, group of lefties who disagree with each other and don't know how to handle it. I would absolutely love to read this one. Uh, subject line is who's excommunicating who. I am part of a friend group of progressive, justice-oriented people. But lately I find myself disagreeing with some of their collective opinions. For example, recently they were talking about a college graduate who grabbed the mic away from the presenter at graduation and said the presenter was ruining, quote, her day. All of my friends were cheering her on, but to me it was just someone making a scene for no reason. However, I was afraid to say anything because of the racial component, though most of my friends are white. I'm getting pretty fatigued with the whole, quote, listen to, insert identity here, people line, because it treats entire groups of people as a monolith. I know plenty of people of color outside this friend group who were disgusted with the graduates' actions. So am I just supposed to listen to the most restrictive voices or only express an opinion if it passes some sort of purity test? Should I cut myself loose from this group of good people who would excommunicate me anyway if I disagreed with them? Who boy. <laughs> I, I think, it's a rich text. Yeah, I, one of the things that was really interesting was I was not familiar with this particular incident. And I think this came in back in like June. And one of the things that I think is really funny about things like this is they can feel incredibly like charged in the moment. And then three months later, like no one is still litigating this or like if they are, I don't know them. But so I, I sort of appreciated being able to approach this without like having a particular stake in this like, uh, not to not to try to reduce all of this to that, but like in some ways, it's very like, I bet this doesn't still bother you. Like the underlying issue is I don't really know how to talk to my friends uh, and disagree without either like going for each other's throats. Like I, I basically, I don't know how to talk to my friends unless we're all doing forced unanimity, um, which I think is way more important than like 
did some college graduate we don't know who made an announcement at their graduation? You know, was that a blow for justice or was that like self-indulgent and and something we should dismiss? Like, I think probably not especially important in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I was wondering, Danny, if I actually, that's, I didn't know that this was something that was in the news. So I was, because I was trying to figure out when I was reading the letter, like, yeah, like if this was like a news story or if this was like at the letter writer's school, like, is is there any like relevant details that would be helpful for us to know about like what actually happened? I like briefly looked it up. It was the kind of thing that was like uh, covered in the post in the Daily Mail. I only know like truly the headline. Mm. Um, it, It was not like a huge sweeping the nation story, but I, I think just essentially like it brought out a lot in this particular friend group that I think is more useful than like getting into the weeds of like this particular graduation ceremony, if that makes sense. Like it, it's not like, oh man, this is like so such a huge deal or like so life changing that we really need to just talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the advice here is fairly simple, right? Like you should disagree with them and you should tell them that you think that this person was just making a scene for no reason Um, (laughs) because that's how you feel. And and I wonder how how true the statement is that these people would excommunicate you if you disagreed with them because in a friend group where, you know, you think they're good people and you guys have a good rapport, you're usually not afraid to speak your mind. And so I I think that this person is, is worried about being canceled for critiquing someone who's a person of color. And uh, that itself is not, it's not reason to be canceled. If the letter writer uh, was more specific about what happened or what their opinion was, I I, I might have something different to say, but uh, I think you you should uh, disagree with them. Yeah, I I think it's both true that, especially it sounds like a a lot of these people are perhaps also around college age or maybe like recently graduated college age. And, you know, I'll just say like, it is not unheard of for young and progressive people to be a little brittle uh, or to be like a little intense uh, or even to sometimes be like incredibly rigid in terms of like what is right and wrong. And there's, there's, you know, no ways around it. They don't hold the trademark on it, but like, sure, that's totally possible. And it's also possible for someone who is, I think, particularly conflict avoidant to frequently agree with a group in order to sort of like have a peaceful moment. And then that can build up until they start to find it unbearable. And it's like, that's also not great. Um, and and so again, like I can certainly imagine a, a group like this friend uh, group existing. I, I don't think this sounds like a totally like made up bugbear. But on the other hand, it's like, well, you've never tried it. You know, you've never tried disagreeing with them. So maybe you suspect they would excommunicate you because they talk really strongly or negatively about other people they disagree with. But uh, you don't know it because you haven't tried it yet. So try it. And, you know, now it's September. I don't recommend going up and saying, (laughs) hey, remember back in June when you all liked this thing you saw briefly on TikTok? I'd like to revisit it. But like whatever's going on now, uh, I think you can go ahead and say something like, I don't feel the same way. Right? Like you don't even have to start with like, I object. Like you're not in a courtroom. It's not a few good men. You can just like, I, I, I feel like I sometimes really want to stress like, politely disagreeing with your friends can often be really great because you don't have to immediately go to the mattresses and say, like, we're squaring off in the culture wars today, folks. Yeah, I mean, I I do have... I will say that because of the way that the letter is written and maybe information that, like, you know, knowing that it was maybe more of, like, a national story that I just, like, wasn't keyed into, but just, like, in the ways that, like, certain some information is left out of this letter. I do feel like there is a general anxiety, though, that does feel bigger than if the letter writer had just said, like, hey, I felt like that was a little, like, ostentatious or whatever. I think the line that says, um, I'm getting pretty fatigued with the whole listen to, quote, identity here people line because it treats entire groups of people as a monolith. That line gives me pause because from the context of the letter, I don't think that the, you know, it seems like this is a white person. It seems like this person doesn't maybe share a lot of marginalized identities, but maybe a few. I mean, I I think that's probably part of the reason that the letter writer sort of carefully withheld that information, right? right? It was like, 
my friends are mostly white. I know people of color outside of this friend group who feel differently. And I, I imagine was sort of like, and I'm definitely not going to let them know like my background or my identities uh, on purpose, which is like totally within your rights. Uh, but yeah, I could, you know, I, I could imagine this person being any number of identities. Uh, this doesn't feel to me like guaranteed one way or the other. But I, I think what also interested me about that line is like, yeah, I think on the one hand, it's really true that like listen to women or listen to trans people um, or like listen to people of one race or another is flattening. Uh, I, in in some ways, it also doesn't mean listen and take what any one person of that group says as like unequivocal truth for everyone, but can sometimes be like used as a bludgeon. So I'm I'm both aware of that, but it did also strike me as sort of interesting because the people are not a monolith line is itself in some ways fatiguing. Like, I don't know if you remember the old Key and Peele Black Republican sketch, but like the punchline of that sketch is we are not a monolith which like 18 guys in a row say. So I thought mm. it was sort of interesting that like one cliche from the left was being met with a cliche from the right. Like these are both statements that get made all of the time. Yeah, and because I think that you're right, Danny, that it can be flattening to just like across all situations, just be like, I'm deferring to the person who's experiencing marginalization here or who's experiencing the most intersections of marginalization. But I do think that, you know, if that is something that you don't experience, if, that, if that's an experience that you don't have, I don't really under, I don't really know who else you would be listening to to make your decision. You know, I think it's kind of saying like, instead of just assuming you know what a group of people feel, you might want to like talk to a few of those people. I don't think that's, I think it's interesting saying like, you know, one person is a monolith because I think maybe what I interpret that kind of like practice to be is like talk to a lot of people, form your own opinions, um, not talk to one person and then decide that their opinion is that monolith, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So neither uh, just default to whoever's identity sort of like wins. Um, and then if anybody within that same identity disagrees, then experience cognitive dissonance and explode. But uh, then neither, I think, I, I worry that the letter writer could be leaning too far in the other direction of, well, I have assembled, you know, like a team of people who share this identity and don't like it. And I would like to put that down like an Uno card. And so I would just say like, this is a Scylla and Charybdis. Scylla and Charybdis? I feel confident about Charybdis. I don't mm. feel confident about Scylla. <laughs> I don't know if I either never would you, have even attempted. Yeah, I have no idea. To, according to theoiigreekmythology.com, uh, it's Scylla with a with a hard K sound. So there we are. Um, sorry to get us bogged down in in that detail, but yeah, I I think like maybe in in both of those viewpoints, you you might be feeling a certain sense of like this, this doesn't feel great. I don't love the idea of like leveraging identities to win something, and and I think you you can pay attention to that, um, and so maybe. You know, again, like it's interesting too, right? That this group of mostly white people has seized upon this like moment at like a college graduation of like a brief disruption. This is not, I think, probably the most important thing that you and your friends have discussed this year. And it is certainly possible that there are certainly ways that they can like groups of white people can sometimes like masketize moments of like the anger of a person of color in a way that can be also like condescending or like insincere. Uh, and that may also be part of what this letter writer is is responding to is this sort of sense of like, I think you are cheering this on or acting like a cheerleader in a way that you might not have done in the moment because you have this sort of like condescending sense of like, you want to say you go girl. Um, and, and that might potentially be there. But again, like all of this just really comes down to you should politely disagree with your friends. And I think not because you say, I've spoken to this many people of color and they agree with me. Because again, like using people like cards and Uno is just not a good way to talk. But to just say, I, I, I didn't find that moment moving, which is not the same thing as I think she's awful um, or I believe she should be like written about cruelly in the Daily Mail. Hopefully you don't share those ideas. I don't know. But what I'm trying to get at is there's a sense here of like, if my friends really overstate things or say things in a really intense or exaggerated manner, I am tempted to do the opposite and to go similarly hard, but in the opposite direction. I would encourage you against that letter writer. And I would instead encourage you to say simply what you mean and no more. And so if they go like, this was the greatest thing I've ever seen. This was so inspirational. And you say, 
you know, it didn't sit well with me or I wasn't wild about it. Um, to, to just say that and no more, I think can be really useful. And if they want to like really get into a dig in their heels, fight about it or say, oh, so does this mean you also think X, Y, or Z? Like you don't have to participate in that, but you should, I think, at least try to have these disagreements because it is also possible that no one is going to say, all right, well, we're getting like together in a circle and we're going to like punch through your hat and destroy your umbrella like you're getting fired from the bank in Mary Poppins. Yeah, the the stakes the stakes are low here, which is which is good, um, especially after our last letter. But I, I think that the the letter writer also needs to consider their own fixation on race that's coming up in the text of the letter, because the friends who were who were cheering her on, we have we have no information about what part of that they were cheering on, but the letter writer seems to think that they were cheering her on because of her race, which seems like a pretty big jump. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder if there was like more detail in there about what their conversation was. But yeah, I would encourage the letter writer to like just basically re-examine like why am I thinking so much about this little incident about my inability to like speak my mind as a white person? Like or whatever. I would I yes, or or whatever. But but I would just recommend channeling that energy into something that's a little bit more proactive. Mm-hmm. Like if you're if you're interested in racial justice, there's a lot of different stuff you can do, organizing groups you can join, yes. you can donate money, you can get out there. And all of that is not intended to curb your racial anxieties, but just in order to redirect your energy that right now is not helping you, it's not helping marginalized people, it's not helping your friends, it's not helping anyone. I I think that's so the right moment to conclude on, because like on the one hand, yes, it will be good to cultivate like disagreeing with friends uh, without flying off the handle, but also in a lot of ways like there are a lot of progressive or justice-oriented people and social groups and like action groups that you can participate in where the majority of the work is not, we discuss like news items that we saw on TikTok, <laughs> uh, which again, it's not to say like, oh, they're like bad or they must be like champagne liberal liberals for like discussing the news. Just that if that's what's coming up most of the time and all of this is sort of like abstract and and hypothetical and disgusted or remove, I also imagine part of that is maybe why this feels very wearing. Um, but good luck. I think it's really useful and sometimes very difficult to disagree with your friends. And that's something that I want to be able to encourage more people to do well, because it's it's an important skill to cultivate. Uh, speaking of which, before I let the two of you go, what's the biggest fight you've ever had? <gasps> oh my God. The biggest fight we've ever had? I really like that gasp. Also, just to be clear, you do not have to answer this question. No, I'm, I'm really thinking about it. I really felt like asking it. it, and I'm being a scamp. Like an individual fight? Or like a, like a, you know, like a thing that comes up, you know? Given, given that I asked you this question on the spot and also while we are recording, I want you to answer it in whatever way feels the most fun to discuss uh, and the least (laughs) intrusive. And that can include nothing goodbye. I think we fight over our mutual friends. (gasps) Like we fight over like my girlfriend, like because I moved it, she's been hanging out with my girlfriend a lot. Like, mm. that's pretty annoying. Um, and I wish that I was there for that. And I wish they weren't so close. So oh, I'll say man. it. Stop having fun without me. That's yeah. a tough one, for sure. Leo has this thing where, like, you know, obviously, like, they love me. You know, we're really good friends. But then they don't anticipate other people maybe <laughs> feeling that same way about me. And then I think it catches them <laughs> off guard. And then they're like, wait, what about, <laughs> what about our primary friendship? Because, yeah... Um, I don't know. I guess I just can't help that I'm charming and that like people that they introduce me to um, end up liking me, you know, even sometimes more than they like him. Um, and that's just not, you know, I'm sorry. Friendship jealousy is so real. <laughs> and I think not discussed often enough compared to romantic jealousy. And people really need a lot of help handling friendship jealousy because it is, it's very, it, it's a little radioactive. It's hard to handle without totally going nuts. I think that's why we call it out. Like, Recently, um, Leo has become friends with a new transsexual mm-hmm. and um, keeps reporting to me just like general ways in which he is like, you know, extremely transsexual, like maybe even more so than I mm. am. And so I don't know, you know, I've been keeping those feelings tamped down, but I they're love coming the idea up. Of like 
getting getting like a consult for like fallow just out of like sheer one-upsmanship. I mean, that's how I'm going to get one, Danny. Like, that's yeah. how I'm going to get there. Like, I can't make a medical appointment, but I can do one out of rage. Yeah, like, and your surgeon's sure. like, now what kind of results are you hoping for? And it's just like, all right, here's a guy, and I just need to be half an inch more in any direction. I don't care if it's wide. I don't care if it's, you know, up and down. I can't think of any more dimensions. Uh, I'm not really a STEM guy, but um, I, I, I'd watch that All About Eve. Um, or not even all about you, just like two guys going back in for like more and more bottom surgery revisions to one up each other. Um, I, I would watch that short erotic film. Uh, yeah, I was about to say the also the thing that sucks for Leo about that is it kind of comes all the way back is because then he and I would obviously fall in love. Absolutely. Um, so if you guys could maybe work this into your next dance, um, I would really appreciate that. We're on it. Thank you so much. See, this relationship is going beautifully already. And we never have to be jealous because uh, we're a triangle and that's the most mm. stable shape. It's so true. Gang, thank you so much. I hope you have a fabulous rest of the day and uh, I will see you all here next week. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Danny. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Generally, my advice would be to say to her, hey, I know that in the past I've expressed my concern for you by telling you that I think you should leave your partner and even by sometimes confronting him. And um, I just want to let you know I'm not going to do those things anymore. Not because I've decided that I think he's a really good guy, but I know that that made things harder for you, and I'm really sorry. My goal is to make things easier for you whenever I can. So I'm not going to try to confront him again, and unless you bring it up, I, I, I won't bring up your leaving him. You already know what I think, but I'm going to put that ball in your court. Like I, I think just anything you can do that says, like, you get to make this decision, not me, um, would go along. And she has to make that decision. Right. Like, no one else can make it. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.